Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going on this, well, if, if you're listening to this live on this drizzly afternoon? Um, man, rain gets to me. Rain really gets to me. It's just like, it's beautiful. It makes things green and you get this beautiful smell called petrichor, but it's also like uh, cold and wet and makes me feel lethargic. So... <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, we can brighten up your day. So we're excited to have you with us today. We're going to be continuing our series today on Moses and the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and we are continuing on with part two of our conversation with Moses and God, and it's going to be an exciting time. Super excited to have that with you. We're going through Exodus chapter four, if you're following along, and uh, we've also got my good friend Trent Keegan coming in, who used to be one of my students back in the day when we uh, worked in the outdoor industry, and he's coming in to share a little bit about what God's been doing in his life. Super excited to hear about that too. And just wanted to get you G'd up for our discussion topic today. So today's discussion topic is, what qualities should I be looking for in a Christian mentor? So if you'd like to call in with any of your thoughts on that, you can do so by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can call in or text into that same number if you have a question that you would like to put forward to us to have a look at in our question of the week portion at the end of the show. And we're going to tell you a little bit later in the show what the first caller in today is going to get as a prize, a free giveaway. So you'll want to get those questions in, whatever they are. Awesome. Well, looking forward to sharing this time with you. This is Bethany Dillon, Satisfy.
Are listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie Morgan, and it has come time for us to chat a little bit about the weird and wonderful world in which we live. And uh, I've got my good friend Trent Keegan. How are you today, Trent? I'm doing really well. Yourself? That's good to hear, man. I'm doing very well. We're excited to have you for our testify segment. But I thought I thought we might just weasel our way into getting you on air a little earlier because I think the topic of our fun facts about the world today are going to be up your alley. So. You, by the way, Trent has no idea what it is that we're doing right now. I didn't give him any any real warning. Just said this is how you use the microphone, and we're going to go with that. So today we're doing our weird and wonderful segment, and what we do, Trent, is we go through and talk about some fun facts about something in the world that God has made, or etc. Just because we can. So that's what we're going to do, and I just wanted you to get the opportunity to interact with that, share your thoughts. If you've got any funny stories to tell, you can tell any of those things, and uh, yeah, it's going to be good. It sounds like fun. <laughs> you, you sound nervous. Don't be nervous. It's okay. So today, our first facts are going to be about sheep. Okay. It sounds like a really good topic. <laughs> so if I understand correctly, you uh, grew up on a farm, which I, I knew that. But I asked you earlier today and, uh, and found out that apparently you have also worked with sheep. So did let's do a quick pop quiz. What are female sheep called? <laughs> oh, I actually don't know. I'll just say sheep. Oh, good guess. <laughs> Use. That's excellent. Okay. What about male sheep? Ram? Boom. You've got it. One for, one for two. One for two. What is the process called when sheep give birth? Dun, 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 dun. Birthing? I don't no, know. No, good guess, but it's lambing. <laughs> no joke. I, I read this on the internet. Um, and that's wh- always right. <laughs> what do you call a group of sheep? A flock. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Did you know how, how long does it take before lambs can start walking after they have been lambed or birthed? Um, I would say like 15 minutes. Ah, within only minutes. Yeah, it doesn't say exactly how many, but they basically walk immediately. It's pretty cool. Get away from anything chasing them. That's right. All right, here's another cool que- cool fact about uh, sheep. Do, what, what shape are their pupils? Do you know that? Are they no round? Idea. No, they're rectangular. Okay, so have you, like, I remember the first time, maybe, maybe not the first time, but I can remember when I was a kid, I came to some sort of farm and um, I remember looking at the sheep or the goats, and I was like, what the heck is wrong with their eyes? What in the world is wrong with their eyes? They've got these like rectangular pupils, and I learned today why that is. Did you know that a sheep or a goat have between 270 to 320 degrees field of vision? 
Wow. So remember, 360 would be all the way around you, like mm-hmm. kind of like a chameleon's probably got pretty close to 360. Almost like an owl turning its head around. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, they can see between 270, which is like one and a half turns, mm. like 180 is out to the left and the right at a straight line off of your head. But they're, they've got way, way more than that. Isn't that crazy? So um, yeah. Peripherals would be pretty awesome. That's right. They, give, they can look without uh, having to turn their heads very far. All right. You ready for this one? Um, sheep also have an excellent sense of smell. They even have scent glands in front of their eyes and on their feet. Can you imagine that, Trent? Can you imagine? What would life be like if you had scent glands on your feet? Would uh, life be better or worse? I would say worse with sneakers and shoes and the smell. I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> now, here's a quick question. So you and I both like to rock climb. How, 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 how good smelling are rock climbing shoes after a couple of weeks of use? They're atrocious. Uh, they're, they're, worse, they're like the worst smell in the world. I can remember I went to a friend's house. And um, they were also a climber. I'll leave their their name and identity totally undisclosed. It wasn't Trent, um, so you've narrowed it down by one. And I remember walking past their shoes at the front door, and I almost I almost started dry reaching. It was so bad. Can you imagine if you had scent glands on your feet? Just you'd have to smell that kind of stuff all the time. Would not be good. Would not be a pleasant experience. Not be good at all. Not be good at all. But it's really interesting. You you mentioned something to me in the break, and it was about sheep. How intelligent do you think sheep are? Uh, I put it down to uh, they are stupid and moronic. Yeah, and, <laughs> and why is that? Why do you think sheep are so silly? Uh, I have no idea. So you said something to me before about making mistakes. Oh, I said that they would make the same mistake one, two, maybe up to a hundred times and still not learn the lesson. <laughs> I, th- I think that that is unfortunately too relatable to all of us. And it's interesting um, in line with that, that Jesus calls us sheep and he calls himself the good shepherd. But be reminded and encouraged that even though we make mistakes and we fail and we fall, the shepherd never gives up on us. Mm. So be encouraged, my friends. You can uh, be a sheep. This is Janine Orwa, Sunflower.
pasture where he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die. Sick and helpless and ready to die. From the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry at the gates of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back His own. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back His own. This is Robbie Morgan, and you're listening to Real Faith on Faith FM. And uh, that actually was not Janine Orba. That was Andrew Robertson. And uh, we'll be hearing, hopefully, from Janine Orba a little bit later with that song. All right. We have come to our Testify segment, a time where we get to hear from somebody who's living present day and what God has been doing in their real life now or in the recent past. And um, we got my good friend Trent Keegan. Thank you for coming on today, Trent. Thanks for having us. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself just so, yeah, we can we can get to know you a little bit. No worries. Um, so I actually have grown up in an Adventist family. Um, I have been a Adventist now then for 33 years coming up. And so uh, it's been an interesting experience um, going through the journey, uh, but things have significantly changed for me in that area. I had amazing parents growing up. I grew up in a country, as you said, in, on a farm, um, but uh, now I'm over here from WA, so WA originally. Living and, over in the Newcastle region. Yeah, living over in the Newcastle region now. And um, yeah, enjoying it. Um, I met you doing outdoor rec. So I love outdoor rec, camping, getting outdoors, being in nature, best place to be. And uh, yeah, now I'm a full-time student studying at uh, Avondale University College. So Awesome. Preparing to be a minister. Yeah. Very yeah. Cool. Not well, where I thought I'd go. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's super good to have you in today, Trent. And I'm looking forward to hearing what, what God has been doing in your life. So. Mm. Go for it when you're ready. All right, no worries. So uh, about 2017, I'd say, I went through some changes, and uh, that led me to, and I, I think this, the saying of uh, during great trials, um, great growth um, can occur. 
Um, so during that trial, I, uh, I actually walked out of the church. I stopped going, stopped um, calling myself a Christian and was pretty much wanting nothing to do with God. Uh, my whole family, as I've said, is Adventist. And so for me, that was a big problem because they're all saying, we're praying for you. We care about you. We love you. You know, do you want to come back? And I was like, nope, I'm good. And um, so I started studying and looking into the idea of evolution and Big Bang and other ideas so I could throw that back at them and say, look, I don't need a God. I, I have all these other theories. And it was during that journey that I started to realize that um, it was going to take me more faith to continue believing in that than it would be to come back to God. But then it was a bit of a pride issue there as well. So I had to deal with that. Um, but it ended up bringing me back. I came back to God, but then I was like, okay, I've been a hypocrite my whole life calling myself a Christian, but not actually being Christian and not doing what God wanted me to do. So that's where things started really moving forward for me. And I actually, yeah, I found myself really uh, passionately wanting to do ministry, wanting to be involved in things, studying the Word, spending time with God and growing in that space. And it was during there that I found myself get to a wall and I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to push through it. Um, and I didn't know how to get closer to God anymore and how to really unpack it. Uh, it was from there that I found myself going to the Arise program, which is a Bible school, Bible college um, that runs up at Kingscliff. And uh, that that was amaz- an amazing, I guess, junction point for me where I really started to see what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be um, someone who feared God and loved God and wanted to do God's work in their life. So, yeah, I... Um, Came back from that and um, did a rise for life, uh, which is to do pretty much six months of full time Bible working, which was a really eye opening experience. <laughs> Getting out, knocking on doors, um, not something everyone enjoys. And um, it was during there that I really started to rely on prayer and realizing the power of specific prayer. And God answered prayers in ways that I never thought He could. I, I would pray prayers where I was like, "There's no way that would ever happen." Uh, one of them was that I would get a phone call and asked to be a minister um, or a pastor. And no lie, like just like just the way God works, I got a call asking me to be a youth pastor and um, for a local church. And so I was like, are you serious? Like how did that happen? Like I'm not a minister. I'm not studying ministry. And, um, and then I had people in my life that just called me out on um, being a fool and uh, to stop being a Jonah and running away from God. Um, and things like that, which then led me to finally go to Avondale, which I really didn't want to. I said to God, you can send me anywhere in the world, Lord, anywhere. I'll do anything. Just don't send me to Avondale. Um, nothing against Avondale, um, which... <laughs> um, You're wearing an Avondale jumper. I am just wearing an here Avondale in the studio, jumper. by the way. Exactly right. Just representing, you know. Um, and like nothing against Avondale. It was just for me. I'd been there and done outdoor rec. I'd done teaching and not finished the teaching degree. Um, I'd gone back and lectured after you doing outdoor rec and um, I was like, I'm done with Avondale. I don't want to go back there. And um, But God had plans and so I'm back there. I am now in my third year, halfway through now, and um, I can see why God had to take me to Avondale. And I can see with every semester, um, there was something for me to learn in every single unit. So it wasn't that I was going to learn huge amounts and everything because I have a few years behind me and I have a fair bit of experience, life experience, but God just knew that there was something that was going to refine me every step of the way. And um, I still see the power in prayer. Um, and I also see the, the, the danger of saying anywhere but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand that one. Yeah. So, no, it's been, it's been an crazy um, and amazing experience and uh, I've loved it. And now I'm super excited to see where God will continue to lead. 
Um, I, I don't know where I'll go. I don't know where I'll be placed or what I'll do. But whatever it is, um, I'm looking forward to it and I have no other expectation as long as it's with God. That's awesome, man. Is there anything that you'd like to say to our listeners before we wrap up? Uh, pray to God and don't be afraid to ask tough questions because specific prayers get specific answers. And then you know it was really God who answered it for you. I love that. I love that. This is Janine Orwa, actually this time, with Sunflower. Sunflower, radiant and round Growing in the warm and dusty ground Can you see it turning its face towards the light? Awestruck by the one that gives it life Like a sunflower Keep your eyes on me I will give you life I have set you free Like a sunflower Keep your eyes on me I will give you life I have set you free Can you see the sunflower standing in the rain? Its tear-stained petals strong despite the pain Can you see the thirsty soil where roots grow deep Even though the skies above may weep Like a sunflower Grow in me I will give you life I have set you free Like a sunflower Grow in me I will give you life I have set you free your being, the sun on your face, the air you are breathing, I will provide trust in me. I am the one who 
who holds you together safe in my arms you withstand the weather i will protect you trust in me We're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Bracky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Hi there, I'm Robbie Bergen, and I'm inviting you to join me each Monday morning for The Faith Experiment. It's a show about, well, experimenting with faith. I've got excellent interviews, great biblical teachings, and fantastic giveaways. So tune in Monday mornings right after Tassie Encounters. Check your local guide for local times. I'll see you then. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. Answers. This is Air News. Where are you now when darkness seems to end? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I, I, I hear you say, I hear you say, look up, child, hey, look up, child, hey, where are you now, when all I feel is down?
You are listening to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. This is Faith FM Radio, and uh, we're going to get into some discussion question responses. Um, But before we do that, I just wanted to do a shameless plug that you can call in and get in on this discussion response, this discussion topic. You can get in your response. But also want to encourage you to send in any questions that you have about God or the Bible or spirituality. And our free prize giveaway for our first caller in for question of the week this week is going to be a little book called God's Holy Word. Is it still worth dying for? And it's it goes through kind of some of the history. If you've ever wondered, well, what's the deal with the Bible? Why do we have it? What happened to it? Why are there so many churches? How come everybody believes all these different things? What's the deal? And it goes through the history of Christianity going through the Dark Ages and into the Protestant Reformation and a return to Scripture. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great read. So I highly encourage that. You can do that by calling or texting 491 491- Zero six four double six nine. That's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. All right. So, Shell, what's our first response? Our question today was, "What should I be looking for in a Christian mentor?" Well, we asked Trent before he um, ducked out, so I thought maybe we'd start with his one. And he said that for him, he's someone um, someone that lives out his faith in front of you. Because he lives it, I can believe it, and be inspired to live my faith out as well. I love that. I actually think that's probably one of the most important things to look for in, a, in any mentor, realistically, but especially a Christian mentor, is somebody who actually walks the talk. Right? Somebody, in terms of a Christian mentor, do they have a real personal lived faith? You can be the greatest teacher, you can be the greatest talker, you can be the most charismatic leader, but if you're not actually surrendered to Jesus, you have less to offer to me than anyone else who is genuinely following Jesus themselves. So, yeah, I think that's a great, great one. Awesome. So you can get your responses in by calling or texting 0491-064-669 for that or our question of the week anytime throughout the show. So just want to encourage you to get in while you can. And we're going to start with a word of prayer. We're going to turn to Exodus chapter 4. So Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament And that's where we're continuing our Bible study today. Father in heaven, we just ask that you'd fill us with your spirit and that you'd lead us to take away from today's Bible study what you want us to hear and understand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week we started off Exodus chapter 3, and we were going through the the beginning, the first half of this conversation between God and Moses. God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and speaks to him. We discovered that Jesus makes the claim in John, I think it's 858, where he makes the claim that that was him speaking to Moses from that burning bush. He claims that same name, that same divinity that was claimed in this story. And then we got through the conversation and there was this back and forth between Moses and God. Moses says, ah, 
well, who am I that I should do these things? And then God answers. And what, what should I say if they ask who, who sent me? And he tells him his name. And every question that Moses has asked, God has given an adequate response to. And that brings us to chapter 4, the second half of that conversation with God. And this is where it starts in verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice, that is the Israelites, Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Can you imagine that? Like God has given you a message and you go to speak to the people, you deliver the message and they're like, no, you didn't hear that from God. You got that from somewhere else. Man, that could be relatable. Exodus 4 verse 2 continues. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod or a staff. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And I love this. We're going we're gonna to just, I want, just want to break that down a little bit. The response that Moses has is, what, what, what am I going to tell them if they don't believe me, Right? I tell them, I, I saw you, you spoke to me in the burning bush. I tell them the name that you told me that they, they should recognize. I tell them that you are the great I am, the, the, the God of my father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of this stuff. What if they don't believe me? And so God gives him an assurance, and he gives him a miraculous sign that God's going to do through him. And I love that what he does is this. God just simply asks a question, and he says, what is that in your hand? Like, it's almost like God is changing the subject. What am I going to tell him? Hey, what's that in your hand? Right? Like, but he's got a purpose here. And so Moses says, uh, a rod, right? And you got to remember, Moses had gone from living in the palace, being trained up as an Egyptian, being trained as a warrior, a general, commander. These are the kinds of things he would have been training to do under Egyptian leadership. And for the last 40 years, he's been chasing sheep around in the desert being a shepherd and carrying around a staff to do his job. So this is a simple shepherd's tool. It's a walking stick. It's not very useful for leading people. It's not useful for uh, too useful in a fight against somebody who's got a sharp weapon. It's not a very useful thing in battle or to lead people. But it's a very useful thing in leading sheep. And God looks at him and he says, take that thing, that thing that's in your hand now, not the thing that you wish you had, not the thing that you want to have, not the skills that you think you need to have. He says, what is it that's in your hands right now? What is available to you? What's the resource that you have? What's the skills that you have learned? And Moses says, oh, all I've got is this, this staff, this, uh, this I'm a, I've been a shepherd out here in the desert, right? And God says to him, that, that's the thing that I'm going to use, that I'm going to do my miracle through to demonstrate to them that it was I who sent you. And I love this because there's so much that can be drawn out of this. God doesn't need you to have some sort of amazing ability in order to use you. It's not the best talker. It's not the best storyteller. It's not the most charismatic leader. It's not any of those things that God needs to be able to do his work in this world. What he needs is someone who is willing to accept God's call and to give to him whatever it is that's the tools that are in their hands. And I love this. So you might not be the kind of person who can do all of those things. You might think to yourself, well, I'm not a church pastor. I'm not one of these things. I don't, I don't have a great singing voice. How can God use me? And God simply says, what is it that's in your hand? 
What's there right now? What's what's the resource that you have available? Oh, you can surf. Oh, okay. Well, let's use that to make some connections to people that you can be ministering to. Oh, you know how to make some soup. I've got some sick people that need some of those things. Let's let's utilize that. And all of a sudden, little things, little things that are in our hands that we give to God become big things that he can use to do his miracles. This is Allison Krauss and Union Station, A Living Prayer. This is Robbie Morgan, and you're listening to Real Faith on Faith FM Radio. 
Uh, hey, Shell, what, what have we got for our next discussion response? So the question today, again, is what should I be looking for in a Christian mentor? Hopefully that's a practical question for you. So Daniel has this to say, compassion, punctuality, trust, honesty, selflessness, understanding, all important qualities. Tons more you could argue about, but these come to mind in my experience. I love that. I love that he starts with compassion. Compassion is super necessary if you're going to mentor somebody because guess what? People people make mistakes. People fail. They they don't perform at the same level as the person that, that is teaching them or leading them generally because they're learning. They got their L plates on, right? Um, I think that's an incredibly important one. I love that the second thing in the list was punctuality because if you got somebody that you're 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 looking to 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 help and guide you, it's pretty helpful that they're punctual, that they're on time. It shows that they care actually about you. I guess if they're putting in the effort to make sure that they're there. So yeah, I love that. I'm rebuked, and I need to be more punctual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're jumping back in. If you'd like to call in with uh, your response to why or what should we be looking for in a Christian mentor, we'd love to hear from you. You can do that, or call in with your questions for question of the week. And our giveaway again is God's holy word. Is it still worth dying for a little book that goes through the history of the Bible and people who lived and died to protect it so that we can get it in our hands? And I tell you personally, this that history has changed my life. Uh, you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. So God's speaking to Moses, and he gives him this first miracle. But that's not enough. Check this out. Verse 6 of Exodus chapter 4, he continues and says, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now, put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. I really like this. I think it's very fascinating. God first starts with the first sign, and the first sign is like, hey, what is it that's in your hand? And I love that, I love that that's not, it doesn't stop there, right? Some people may believe, some people may not. I mean, it's a, be, I gotta say, it's a pretty supernatural looking occurrence for you to drop a stick, it to become a living snake and slither around, pick it up, and it goes back to normal. But some people might be not convinced by that and might think, well, maybe this is sorcery, maybe this is something else. And so he gives them another sign, and this time, it's not the staff. And what I love about this is that there, there's a tendency throughout human history for us to create what I would call a talisman, right? We take something and it becomes to us like the good luck charm. If I've got this thing around my neck, then I'll be safe. Uh, when I lived in the islands, I found there the, the, these beautiful Christian people, but there were still some talismans that were left over from the previous their previous belief systems, and they would tear, you know, this one house I came to, they, they had torn pages out of their Bible, put them up in a bottle, and hung it out on their front door to keep the demons or the spirits away. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's using the Bible as a good luck charm, as a talisman. And so God's first sign uses an object, but the second sign, it takes the object out of the picture. So it's not that the, the object is magical or you, you, you remove superstition from that. You say it's, it's actually Moses, God working through Moses and his hand. And so he puts his hand in and it comes out leprous. And I love this. 
the miracle that you have witnessed, the one that you have seen, Moses, you've seen these two miracles. You can go and demonstrate them. But that's not enough either. I love that the third thing that he does is he doesn't show Moses. The first two signs Moses sees, and he's going to go, and he's then going to have that past experience. I know God can use my skill set because I've seen him use it before. I know God's going to use my hands in something that's out of my control because I've seen him do it before. He said, use your hands, and this is what will happen, and it did. But then the third time, he says, I'm just going to tell you. When you go, if, if nobody believes you after that, if there's still doubters, he says, here's a promise. You can go and do this with the water, and this will happen. And I love that what God is doing here is he is saying to him, you will see miracles that you have not seen if you will only just believe and follow that which I tell you. I will be with you and use you. This is the Lower Lights. Go down, Moses.
Faith FM has a brand new live show each weekday morning straight after the breakfast show called Tassie Encounters. Tune in for fascinating discussions of history, science, faith, and personal encounters with Jesus. Tassie Encounters, live every weekday straight after the breakfast show on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Where did we come from? Where's the evidence? Do you have questions about creation and evolution? Would you like to have them answered by an expert in the field? You're invited to come and hear Dr. John Ashton, an expert scientist, an author, and a regular guest on the Faith FM Breakfast Show. Dr. Ashton will be sharing and taking your questions in Gloucester on Saturday, June the 12th. This will be happening at 10 a.m. at the Gloucester Seventh-day Adventist Church, 60 Barrington Street. Invite your friends and family to share their questions too. Remember, that's June the 12th at 10 a.m. at the Gloucester Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more information, contact Faith FM on 1-800-FAITH-FM. Hasn't let me go Cause I've let him go Many times He keeps amazing me With how he's changing me I'm holding on this time And I keep on telling myself Don't dig up what you've sowed in faith Don't give up what won't be replaced means more than you would ever know Don't waste it now Let him anchor your soul Your soul Your soul Your soul I'm thankful God has I've let him go many times He keeps amazing me With how he's changing me I'm holding on this time And through the valley, through the deep When the ocean's crashing in I will trust, I will lean On the one who calms the sea So remind me Don't dig up Sold in faith Don't give up What won't be replaced Your life means more My soul, my soul, 
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan on Faith FM Radio. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study, let's have another response to our discussion topic today, which is, what should I look for in a Christian mentor? One who is doing life well. That's what Kate has to say. And one whose advice lines up with the Word of God. I like that. Somebody who is actually living out a life that is lived well. I think that's a great point. Like, you sometimes might be inclined to pick people who live life the way that you how should i say this you could look at this like a prosperity gospel kind of thing and be like just choose the people who are wealthy and healthy and all of those things but it's more like pick the people who are living lives that are fulfilling and meaningful and significant and learn from them what you can so that your life can be meaningful and significant and fulfilling mm. i think that's great and keep and i like that the 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 little add on there and faithfulness to the word of god great great stuff all right. Well, if you would like to get in our discussion topic, we'd love to hear from you. You can uh, send us in your response to what should I look for in a Christian mentor by texting 0491-064-669. And don't forget that you can call in for our free prize giveaway for God's Holy Word. Is it still worth dying for? Going through the history of why why do we have the Bible? Why is there so much question? Why are there so many gods that people worship? Why in, within the Christian church are there 34,000 denominations or some crazy number like that? Um, you can check it out. This book will help to give you some insights on that. All right, we're jumping back into Exodus chapter 4, continuing our conversation between Moses and God in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Isn't it interesting? This conversation has been getting going back and forth. It's like, hey Moses, I've got a plan. I've heard I've heard my people crying out, and you're my guy. I'm going to send you. And he's like, oh, who am I? Ah, well, I'm going with you. Ah, but who will I tell them sent me? Here's my name. What shall I tell them? There's what my name is. Ah, what am I going to do? What if they don't believe me? Well, here's a sign. Here's three signs, in fact. Ah, but I'm slow speech. And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to pick up the idea that Moses really just doesn't want to do this thing. And so he's coming up with a million excuses, and I feel so rebuked when I read this story, because this is me all over the shop, right? Having conversations with God, you see his leading, you feel like you've, you're pretty convinced by his word and by what he's told you in your prayer life and et cetera. This is what he wants you to do for this time right now, and you just don't want to do it. And so there's a million and one excuses that we can throw up, and this is exactly what Moses is doing. And every single one of those excuses, God meets God meets it, and he gives him what he needs, right? So you can't talk. Well, that's all right. I made, I made your mouth. I will be with you. I will speak. I will give you what you need to say. And so we come to verse 13, and, and the, the, the reality of where Moses is, the honest thing that he wants to say comes out. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, please send someone else. I really don't want to do this job. Isn't there someone else that you can send to do this task? I don't want to be the guy. I spent 40 years out here in the desert trying to unlearn all this stuff. I'm not the guy. 
And check out God's response. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. And I love this. God's response in his, his anger here towards Moses is that he's like, I've, I've answered all your questions. I've given you all this stuff. I'm, it, it's time. Now I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. And you're going you're gonna to either respond in obedience or you're going to respond in disobedience. <laughs> like you're either going to believe and ex- exercise faith by taking a step forward or you're not. And sometimes in the Christian walk, this is where it comes down to. God's willing to converse with us, but then he gives us a step where we get the chance to respond and to demonstrate. I saw a burning bush, a flaming silhouette in the night. If I'm standing on holy ground, I'm living on borrowed time. You said I am who I am. I was your boat in the Nile. All I know is there's blood on my hands. Just that river's bastard child. Oh, oh. Talk to God like a friend and still doubted him. Saw the ocean split wide and still wondered why.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. This is Faith FM Radio. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study, let's go to our last, uh, our last couple of responses, I think. Yep, so Leah says... Oh, by the way, this is, is what should I be looking for in a Christian mentor? I should add that. <laughs> <laughs> for those just tuning in, um, a person who has a thus saith the Lord approach, godly, meek, experienced in life and ministry, able to always speak the truth in love, gentle and bold. I love that. Man, it I think everything that everybody has said so far are great points. And one of the one of the challenging things is how do you find a mentor who fits the bill with all of these things? Like if we were to look for the person who's got every one of the characteristics that we've said so far, we're looking more and more for people who look just like Jesus. And uh, I'm going to be real, I haven't found anybody who looks just like Jesus in this life. But how can we learn from people? And I love what Paul says. He says, "Imitate me as I imitate Christ." And I love that. And I think uh, there's a really powerful one. I really liked the one that was at the beginning of that. Of that, um, I think it was from Leah from the, from the beginning of that one. It was it was somebody who responds, "Thus saith the Lord." In other words, somebody who says, "Hey, well, if this is what God says, I'm going to go with what God says rather than what anybody else says." And I love that. I think that's ut- at the utmost. Awesome. Well, you got time for one more. So if you want to call in or text in, you can do so with your discussion response to what you are looking for in a Christian mentor. Or if you'd like to send in a question for our question of the week, there's still time before the break. And uh, you can do that. The first caller in is going to get a free copy of God's Holy Word. Is it still worth dying for? Going through the history of those who lived and died to protect the Word of God and the freedom that we have to access it ourselves. So you can do that by calling 491 0649669 that's 0491-064-669. So back into Exodus chapter 4, and we're about to get into a story that's a little bit strange, and for a lot of people I think is a bit hard to get our heads around, but there are some valuable lessons in it anyway. So this is Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 18. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please, Let me go and return to my brethren who are still in Egypt, and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now, I love this. Before we go any further, I think it's really valuable to note that Moses is a foreigner living in a foreign land, and this priest of Midian, Jethro, he took him in under his wing. He provided him shelter when he was an outcast with nowhere to live, with no one to support him. And in that duration of time, found him to be such such a reputable man that he was willing to, to, to allow his daughter to marry him. And he's joined his family. He's been living with this man for 40 years and has provided um, grandchildren to this man. And there's a relationship that has responsibility, a, re- a relationship of trust, of mutual reciprocity. And what I love here is that the idea that we see later expressed in the Ten Commandments of honoring your father and mother is something that Moses is living out even in the call that God has on his life, he goes to request permission from his father-in-law to take his daughter and to take his grandchildren with him as he goes on what's likely to not be an easy journey and might involve a bit of risk. And I just love the the respect that, that, that's associated there. And I think it, as we follow God, we need to maintain respectfulness. And remember that those who have gone before us, who have provided everything for us in a sense when we if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, are people who we should respect and, and consider and involve in those 
and those decisions. Now, if he had refused, should Moses still have gone? I think he should still obey God over anyone else. However, I think it was just uh, it, it just shows a godly level of respect for his father-in-law. All right, let's continue. Verse 19, Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now this is kind of a uh, a full-on um, kind of conversation that God has with Moses. And, you know, Bible commentators and scholars have debated about this for years. My take on it, I think, is is important as, as we read this, to kind of read the context in the broader picture of Scripture and to know and understand that God does not make your decisions for you. God provides Pharaoh with a lot of opportunities, and Pharaoh's response to that is he makes decisions and his heart becomes harder and harder because of his response to what God does. And God takes a level of responsibility in the way that he says this, that I will harden his heart. But as we read through those texts, and we'll get to them in in future studies as we progress through the story, I think it's going to become really plain that it's not God who's making that decision for Pharaoh, but that Pharaoh's decision is to harden his own heart as he responds to God's leading. Um, Another thing that I think is interesting to point out here is that this firstborn language is present right here. Who does God call his firstborn son? He calls the nation of Israel his firstborn son. And there's a lot of significance to that when we talk about Jesus being the only begotten of the Father. We're talking about Jesus stepping into that role of being Israel and being the representative of Israel to represent man's man on behalf of man in that covenant relationship with God as Jesus goes to the cross, which there's some huge theological significance to that that we don't have time to get into today, but I encourage you to check that out. This is Marion Blythe Pepper's I Heard the Voice of Jesus.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. This is Faith FM Radio, and uh, we're coming back in for our last little Bible study session before the news. Um, but before we get into that, we've got a couple more discussion responses come in in the break. So let's hear. This is our our last last one for this discussion topic for today. What should I be looking for in a Christian mentor? So Drew just texted in, someone who has had a difficult life or has had some challenges but still loves Jesus and demonstrates discipleship. Oh, I love that, that that level of experience where it's not all been easy, it's not all been good, because guess what? Life's not all easy and life's not all good. Even the journey of faith is not always easy or always good experientially in the moment. But God is able to bring good out of all situations, Romans eight twenty eight tells us. I love that. That's so, oh, that's such a good point. And it, it just reminds me of Job. And I think we got a question come in for question of the week that I think is going to relate to that, that, that experience of difficulty and hardship, even in the journey of faith. That's a great, ooh, that's good. And um, Freco um, texted in also during the break, and he says, an inspirational person with the Lord's guidance. Oh, I love that. Inspiring people. Yeah, because whoever it is that you, that you're wanting to be a mentor for you, you want them to be inspiring to you. And what's inspiring to you and what's inspiring to me might be very different things too. And so that's a really valid point, trying to find somebody who helps to motivate or inspire you to want to move forward in your walk. That's a good point. Awesome. Well. Without any further ado, I'm going to put in for a uh, one last shameless plug for question of the week. Thank you guys for your discussion responses. Uh, we'll tell you at the end of the show what our discussion topic will be for next week. But for question of the week, if, you, if you're the first caller in, you can receive a free copy of this book today. It's called God's Holy Word. Is it still worth dying for? I believe it is. And uh, I've been really inspired by some of the stories that I've heard of the reformers who went through and died for the, the sake of being able to hold on to and and pass on the words of God. And so if you'd like to know more about the history of that question, or sorry, the history of that that preservation of God's word and the question of, well, how come there's so many different churches today? And how come, what's the deal? Like, why? what is all this stuff? What happened in the Dark Ages? What happened in the history of the church that there's so much confusion and this lack of unity? Super interesting read. So call in with your questions, and you can be in the running for that free book. Um, you can do that by calling or texting 491 491- Zero six four double six nine. That's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. All right, we're coming to the last portion of our study. So we're in Exodus chapter four, and we're going to race through and try and get through the end of it today. Um, so we just finished off with God saying, "And and tell Pharaoh that if you refuse to let my son go, who you have enslaved, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn." It's interesting to note that Moses doesn't mention that part of God's message until right at the very end after. Nine other plagues have happened, and these miraculous things have taken place. It's not until it gets to the last, the last moment that that final, that final directive is given. Uh, verse 24, And it came to pass on the way, that is on the way to Egypt, at the encampment, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. You're like, whoa, what? What in the world? What's going on here? And then it says a very interesting a little bit difficult to understand passage, but we're going to try and get something from it. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now this is a super out there, super strange story for us in a Western context. 
but I want to just highlight a couple of quick things that I think are, are significant for this, for us to understand something out of this passage. Point number one, Moses is an Israelite, and the symbol, the sign of the Israelites for the males was circumcision. And if you have been with us since we studied Abraham, when we studied Abraham last year, you will know that this was a sign of the covenant, not necessarily because this was always God's intention, but because when Abraham had been had believed the promise of God that God would give him a son through his barren wife in their old age and that God would keep that promise, it was Abraham who decided to use that part of his body with his wife's encouragement to try and bring about God's promise not in God's way. And so he tried to have a child through Hagar, Sarah's uh, handmaiden, or handmade, and that whole thing happened. You have Ishmael, you have all that, and there's a whole lot of story there that's worth reading. That's in Genesis 17. You can check that out where the story takes place, 15 through 17 specifically, and um, chapters 15 through 17, that is. But one thing that I think is really significant to note is that the purpose of circumcision was to demonstrate throughout the ages it's not your way and it's not your work that God delivers his promise. God delivers his covenant, his end of the bargain, because of his faithfulness, and circumcision was to be assigned perpetually through the generations of them to say, I trust that God will keep his promise by doing what he says, and so I'm going to walk in faith and allow God to keep the promise rather than trying to work my way to force God to give me what what he says he will give by my means. Hopefully that makes sense. And I think this is really significant. So when you think about this, Moses is living in a foreign land. He's married a woman who's not an Israelite. She doesn't seem to be too happy about the idea of circumcising their, their, their child and um, so has not, has not gone on to do that. And the problem here is that Moses has yielded in this situation and he has not gone through and followed what he's supposed to do and to keep that sign going. Now he's about to go back to the Israelites and he's supposed to be the leader who's going to lead them in faithfulness and to lead them into freedom. Now, he needs to be somebody who is fully in, if you get what I mean. He needs to be fully committed, and this would be a sign that would demonstrate to everybody he's not fully in, he's not fully committed, and neither do they need to be fully committed. And so this was a big deal at the time for Moses, and you can see that his wife was not too keen on this idea, but in the end, she understood and she participates in the right and this happens. This is a hard one for us to understand, but I think the significant thing is Moses needed to be all in in order to be used for this major work. All right, we're going to read through the rest of this and take a break. Well, you're not going to take a break. I'm not going to take a break either. Anyway, verse 27, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron, all the words of the Lord who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. I love this. I love this. He comes and he meets his brother. Can you imagine 40 years and you see your brother who you've never, you've not seen in 40, over 40 years, right? Who knows how often he was able to see his brother when he was living in Egypt in the palace? Probably not very often. And he sees his brother 
this would have been such a such an amazing encounter. And he's telling him the story, and I can just picture it in my head. Like, here's Moses telling his long-lost brother, right? This is what God has done, and this is what God has said, and I thought I was going to do it this way, but that wasn't the way God was going to do it. And 40 years have passed, and I've got kids, and la da 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 And he tells him all this stuff and shows him all this information. This is what God said. These are the signs that he's going to show. And Aaron gets behind him, and Aaron believes. And he's now got support. And when he goes, Aaron speaks, as God had said. He provided Moses with a mouthpiece. And I think this is really valuable for us to know. God didn't just say, you must do everything and force him into this this situation, not give him any help. He gave him lots of help. In fact, he gave him significantly more help than realistically Moses should have asked for. And I think that that's an encouragement to us. When, when God calls you to do something, he will give you the help that you need. Sometimes he'll go even so far above and beyond, to give you things you asked for that you didn't even need. So remember that and be encouraged when God calls you to go that he will empower you and equip you to do the work. I am dwelling on a mountain where the golden sunlight gleams in a land whose wondrous beauty far exceeds my fun is not this the land of Beulah? Blessed, blessed land of light, where the flowers bloom forever, and the sun is always bright. I am drinking at the fountain where I For life's treasures Nor adorning rich and gay For i found a richer treasure One that fadeth not away For i found a richer treasure You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. Feed us, Lord. 
beside still waters, refresh our souls, lead us in paths of righteousness for your This is Robbie Morgan on Real Faith. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, hey, Shell, I'm just wondering, what time is it? Oh, question of the week. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think that would get old, but I just, I just love it. I love it. I love that groovy little rhythm. Awesome. So um, what, what do we have this week, Shell? I think we have a question in from, was it Chris? 
Oh, you can't read it? We do, but it's on your screen. <laughs> ah. Oh, that makes it difficult. Well, how about I'll, I'll read the question then. All right, so we have a question in today from Chris. Thank you so much, Chris, for calling in with your question. And the question is this. Why celebrate when someone prays to God to be saved from death and subsequently stays alive? So in other words, why do we celebrate when somebody prays to be saved from dying and they live? And yet, ignore the many more people that prayed but died nonetheless. Objectively, it would appear that prayer has no effect. So thank you very much, Chris, for for sending in that question. It's a huge question, and it's an important question. And I just want to say at the outset, before I give any answer, that no matter what I say, it's it's going to sound like a cop-out at some point. Like, <laughs> there's there's just no way that you can answer a question like this because, in, uh, sorry, in such a way that there's just this perfectly logical answer that 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 just explains it all and and answers all of the difficulty of the question. And the reality is that if this has happened to to you, um, then it's a very personal question, and it's it's not just an issue of logic either. Because the reality is that when we deal with death as all people have to deal with, it's a difficult thing for us to understand. Um, and I don't think anybody really understands fully how to deal with that. So I just want to say that at the outset. With that said, I, I do have a couple of things I'd like to share that I hope are helpful on the question. The first thing is this. Um, if the purpose of prayer is only transactional, in other words, if prayer is simply if I ask then God must give. Or if I obey and do enough of what God says to do, then he must bless me and must answer my requests. If that's how prayer works, if it's only just a transaction of this equates to that, then I would agree. It would appear that perhaps prayer doesn't work because some people put in the same effort and get out different results. Some people put in the same requests and get out different answers. And if that's the if that's the case, if all prayer is is just a transaction between humanity and God, then then it doesn't seem to be consistently working for everybody. And I think that's a really valid point. However, I think the challenge is that prayer is not just transactional. If we look at what Scripture talks about with prayer, it doesn't just refer to a transaction. And in fact, I think of one of my favorite verses, um, Philippians four uh, six and seven, where he says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer." and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus i think it's really important to note in that promise which i which i cling to in difficult times is that god says through the apostle paul there in prayer and in supplication supplication is to make requests and so i think it's really interesting that when when he identifies that He's saying that there is prayer and there is supplication. And, and in other words, a part of prayer is making requests of God, but that's not the entirety of what prayer is. Otherwise, it would simply be transactional. Okay, I've, I think I've labored that point enough. But here's, I, th- I think that helps to set a bit of an idea of what prayer looks like in Scripture because there are times in Scripture where we see prayers that are requests that are answered miraculously. There are times when we see prayers in Scripture that are that are answered that, that don't seem to be done supernaturally, but they're done through people. And then there are other times where we see prayers, even in Scripture, that are not answered for long periods of time or not ever answered in the way they were requested at all. And that's, I think, the experience of any person of faith as well. 
I love this quotation. This is from one of my favorite authors um, in one of my favorite books. It's called Steps to Christ, and, and she comments on the topic of prayer. She says this. She says, Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Not that it is necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive him. In other words, prayer is opening our hearts up to God, not because he doesn't already know, but because it helps us to be ready to receive him, which is the ultimate purpose of prayer. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to him. And I think that this is a really valuable consideration when we talk about prayer, is that prayer is not just about a transaction, although there are trans, you know, there, there are requests that are made and answers of yes or no or wait or all of those kinds of discussion topics. Mm-hmm. But I think that one of the things that is ultimately the, the purpose of prayer is that prayer is supposed to draw us closer to God, and it's supposed to draw us closer into His will. And the reality is we live in a world where there is pain and suffering and death, and not everything that happens is according to God's will. God allows certain things to take place because we live in a sinful, broken world, and to not allow some things to take place would be to not allow free will to exist. And so God's kind of in a bind in a sense. and In other words, he allows himself to be in a bind in that sense. One of the greatest stories in Scripture that that really deals with this is the book of Job. And when you look through the book of Job, you see that God allows Satan, the devil, to to inflict difficult circumstances and trials onto a man named Job who is declared by God to be a righteous man. And in that, there are some supernatural events, or sorry, uh, what would you call it? Uh, I can't think of the right word, but there's like natural disasters. That's the word I'm looking for. There's like a natural disaster that takes place and and his house falls down on his kids and they die. All these horrific things. And then God allows Satan to inflict him with physical infirmity. And in this conversation, like it's Job goes about and he says all of these things. There's this passage in Job chapter 10, verse 9, where he says, Remember, I pray, that you, speaking to God, have made me like clay, and will you turn me into dust again? And he has these complaints. It's like, what's going on, God? I've been faithful, and yet difficult times have come to me. What's the deal? Why, why are you being unfair to me? And you go through this whole book, and there's so many things where he says, he says stuff, and I'm like, man, is that really what a faithful person would be saying to God? But he's praying to God. He's, he's praying out and dealing with the silence of God on difficult situations of grieving. And I love when you come to the end of the chapter, this powerful, there's this powerful passage that happens. And it says in Job 42, verse 7, um, And after the Lord had spoken these words to Job at the end of the story, The Lord says to Eliphaz the Temanite, one of his friends, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And you go, whoa! In his questions and grieving and and what seems like doubts, God is affirming Job. And I think the point is, Job held on to God in the midst of the problem, and he brought the problems to God and wrestled them out with God in the silence. And when you read through the rest of the servant, it talks about how God talks about how, how Job has done the right thing. And as you read through, it's really fascinating that at the end of that, he says to these three guys who, who were saying what seemed like the right religious answers against Job's questions. He says to them, you need to go and ask Job to pray for you. Because if Job prays for you, I will hear, right? And I will forgive you. But if you don't get Job to pray for you, that's it. And what's really interesting as you read this is that Job prays for them, even these people who were were a, a source of pain in his in his difficult trial, 
and he prays for them, and God blesses. But then God also shows up, and finally, after all of the silence, he speaks to Job, and there's a sense where not all of the questions are answered, and yet the fact that, that God shows up in a, in, and reveals himself in a particular way to Job helps him to trust even through the difficulty and the silence. And it says God blesses him even more in the rest of the story. And so that's not a complete answer to your question. I don't think that I could give a complete answer to your question because I don't think there's a logical question or answer to that, that that's just spelled out in Scripture to make it simple. I think the reality is death is a part of this fallen life, and we have to all wrestle with it and deal with it with God. But in the midst of all of those things, the purpose of prayer is not just to get a transaction as, as much as we might hope for that, and there are times where God does do that. The highest purpose of prayer, because even if that person is saved now, they're still going to die. The highest purpose of prayer is to bring us into connection with the God of the universe and to work through the difficulties of living in a broken world to know that he is going to bring us faithfully all the way home if we put our faith and our trust in him. So I hope that that's a blessing to you. Um, It probably doesn't answer all of your questions, but thank you so much for your question. I hope that's a blessing to you. We're going to go to a song now, and this is uh, Ryan Proudfoot, A Man Named Job. was a man with all the possessions that this world could hold The fathers of riches seemed to overflow But all he wanted was you A blameless man who feared God turned away from evil The greatest man his land had ever known But all he wanted was you Tempter came to try to set the Lord against his soul To strip away all that he'd ever owned But all he wanted was you Yeah, just you Just you Friend 
travel for days to give him counsel now But they don't know what they say, they only tear him down He starts to question their ways, it seems they've led him wrong But then he starts to complain, that's when we hear the sound A voice that comes from the wind is here to question you And since you've tried to contend, I hope you hear the truth That all the wind stars and skies, the raging seas, the waters rise You can't deny, I'm the one that all this has come through I'll always be and I've always been Wherever you've gone, I've been with you then Humble your heart, fall on your knees Trust in my ways when still you can't see When I can't see I trust you Job, he falls into the ground, covers his hand to his mouth so words won't utter out. My God, your wonderful ways no man can understand. So now I'll give you my days, cause all I need is you. You are listening to Faith FM with uh, Robbie. You are listening to Real Faith. Oh, I got all those confused. You're listening to Faith FM Radio with Robbie Morgan, and this show is called Real Faith. <laughs> Welcome back from that song. Uh, just want to thank you for joining us for the road. It's come the end of our show, and in that time, with um, with what we've got to do, I just wanted to do our application because the, the title of this show is called Real Faith, and the purpose of that, the reason that we have somebody share a testimony of what's happening in their real life now is to demonstrate that that faith is not old and archaic. It's real, and it has application now in our lives. And these stories that we're reading have real application that we can draw from and put into our lives. So what can we take from the song, sorry, from the the story today that we can apply in our real lives? First of all, I think, and I touched on this last time, but I think that it's worth repeating, is that Moses is having a conversation with God, and we found out the reasons for that conversation were essentially because Moses did not want to do what God had called him to do. He was scared. He was just really not keen to take on the role and the responsibility that God was wanting to give to him and use him for. And I can relate to that. But what I love is that God is willing to have a conversation and to go back and forth, and he answers so many of, of Moses' questions. He's like, you got this question? Here's the, reson- the response. Here's the answer. Here's how you deal with that. Oh, here's, you got that question? Here's how we're going to deal with it. Oh, you've got that question? Here's how we're going to deal with it. And he goes through, and God is so patient and generous and I find that encouraging because there is room for questions in your walk with God. And I think that's incredibly important. And there's a difference between questions and doubts, but I think it's really valuable for us to know questions are welcome, and God is big enough to deal with your questions. So point number one, don't be afraid to ask God tough questions. What else can we draw out of this? Um, I love the, 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 the rod and staff picture. So God comes to Moses, and he's like, okay, what is that in your hand? What's in your hand? What's there right now? What's the tool that you've got that seems useless? That's the tool I'm going to use to give you a miracle to demonstrate to the people that I've called you for this task. And I love this because God doesn't need you to have an amazing opportunity in front of you. He doesn't need you to have amazing skills. He doesn't need you to have this this particular skill set in order to use you for his glory. 
He can work miracles to bring others to belief in his message through you if you are willing to offer to him what you have now and to believe. And I love this. This means that you can be a pastor, you can be a tradie, you can be a musician, you can be somebody who works at McDonald's, you can be unemployed, you can be a grandparent, you can be a great-grandparent, you can be barren, you can be a mother, you can be a child, you can be a sister, a brother, you can be whatever, right? God can still use you if you're willing to faithfully follow what he has called you to do and to give him what's in your hand. He can use that for his glory, and I think this is super powerful. We see that throughout Scripture. Every character in the Bible who is human except for Jesus is flawed, and yet God still uses flawed people to accomplish his plan in a broken world to lead people to salvation. So whatever is in your hand, use it. Give it to God. Allow him to use it and to use you to bring other people to him. God is willing to work with us, and I love that. Another practical application is that if you're in a position of leadership, you need to be all in. If you've got one foot in and one foot out, the challenge is, as we've been talking about with Christian mentoring, people look up to you and people are going to take away from your example what it is that they are going to need to do in their life. And so don't let our, we, we need to not let our flaws get in the way of helping people to be able to follow where God is leading. Let's not give them our failings as their excuse to not follow where God calls them. So hopefully you can take away from these what you uh, need to this week. Next week, tell us what will your mansion be like in heaven. Stay tuned for Drive Time. And remember, my friends, that real faith is lived faith.